as you heard, we got a message today. So, okay, all right, yeah, keep clapping. Sex morality, wrath, sons of disobedience. Whoa, 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 yeah, all right. All right, if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and meet me in Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, keep it raised really high. One of our ushers will walk down the aisle and get you a copy of the Bible. We'd love for you to follow along with the Bible. And then if you don't own a copy, please keep the one that we are handing out so that you can grow in an understanding and a knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we are in our series in Ephesians and have been for a while. We'll conclude in October. But for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this new society. This new society in which has been created in Christ Jesus. And so if you step back and you look at the big picture of Ephesians, what we see is there's these things that are separated that the work of the gospel, primarily in Christ, that God is reconciling. So chapter 1, we see that heaven and earth have been separated because of sin, and now in Christ, through his grace, God is reconciling all things, heaven and earth. We, see, we read that in chapter 1. Chapter 2, we see that people, all of us, by nature and by choice, we are separated from God and ultimately now through, through Jesus and his grace that we are made one with the Lord. And then we see that people who are one with the Lord, male and female, primarily Jew and Gentile, they're separated, but now in Christ Jesus that he's creating this one new man. That's what it says, that one new man, which literally means a new society. And not a new society from something else, but something that's never been done before. And what Paul begins to show is in this new society, the Lord gives us gifts and talents and so forth that we are to be one and to be a display to the world around us. In fact, Paul says this, that the church, the people of God, this new community, that when we live in light of Christ, that we are showing the manifold or the multifaceted um, wisdom of God to the principalities and authorities. Like that's angelic being that's happening, that's demonic activity, the way God is showing himself is through people like you and I as we follow his son Jesus. And then Paul gives us this picture of what it, this new society begins to look like. And he paints a picture for us to be able to, to see what it looks like. And he says it's, it's kind of like this. It's like you don't lie to each other or put in front a false self, but you speak the truth and you're honest. That you don't use your words to, to tear down, but you use words to build up. That you have anger, but it's an anger towards injustice, not an anger just towards things that make you mad. That there's a way in which you take your talents and your gifts, and you use them not to steal or to rob or to hoard, but you use the, your hands and your talents and gifts to be able to be generous to the community around you. And there's these pictures that we have. And then we concluded last week with that God is our Father and that we're to be imitators of God. Um, and what this section begins to speak of is more in the like of what Paul is talking about. And, and because you read, there's a lot on sexual morality and so forth, that, that the text in itself is not about sexual sin, though that's a huge part of it. It's ultimately about how we live in the community and how we imitate God, how we follow Jesus. So by the way of just um, being able to organize this text, because it's a long text, we're going to look at verses 3 all the way to 14, is the first section um, we can categorize as a worship and warning. Worship and warning. And that, that's 3 through 7. And in 8 through 14, what we can see, it's affirmation and action. Affirmation, who we are in Christ, and then what does it look like for us to live it out? So worship and warning and affirmation and action. So earlier, before the 9 o'clock service, somebody was saying, hey, man, you, you, you seem like you're really excited. My first response was, because my kids are going back to school tomorrow, right? <laughs> and, uh, like, that's, like, that's an amen right there. That's a blessing from the Lord. The Lord has smiled upon me, right? And, 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 you know, listen, I know everyone's like, well, you know, kids are a blessing. They really are. Um, just not always. And so there's, there's, a, 
there's, there's, there's a sense where there's a lot of things that were, I was talking to my oldest sister this morning, there's a lot of things that are coming to an end, right? You can't go swimming whenever you want. That's coming to an end, RIP, right? It's live the, live the good one. Or you can say that maybe, you know, just arguing with your brother all day long has to stop. You know what else has stop? Fortnite. It's done, right? <laughs> and, and, I, and if you don't know what Fortnite is, it's a video game that was made, I think, by Adele, the devil. Um, and and uh, I'm just joking. I'm an affirmation of God, good creation, and so forth, and it's a blessing, and all of life is all for Jesus, right? So... Um, kids and adults alike love this game and um, may or may not be addicted to it. That's for one's own interpretation. So I'm glad that that's over. And I'm talking to them like, what I don't get about these games is you sit on the couch and you look at a screen and you talk to people who you're playing, your friends, who are sitting on another couch at their own home and they're watching the screen. Like, why not actually be in the same room with each other, talk, laugh, like communicate, Move around, I don't know, play hide-and-go-seek or something like that. I think that's actually more fun than, than that. Now, I know a lot of you, and even the grown men and women are going, Ricardo, have you ever played Fortnite? No, I can't. I can't. Like, I'm not, I'm not good at it. I'm just not good. When we were kids, I was, I was telling you this morning, literally this morning, I said, we would play hide-and-go-seek in my grandma's house. So my cousins, me, my brother, my sister, and they had a dimmer switch. His first uh, phrase was, what's a dimmer switch? And um, a side note, there, there's like a phone jack in our house. We don't have a landline. And, uh, and I, probably like six months ago, I said, hey, Noah, do you know what that is? And he goes, no. And I said, he goes, is it for the internet or something like that? I'm like, no, there's these things called landlines. It's amazing. People still have them today. Um, <laughs> like, he had no idea. But see, he's not a dimmer switch. Is. And when I explained it to him, he goes, oh, I get what you're talking about. But you remember, like, how they used to have, like, it used to be like a, like a knob that you would turn. And it would go lower and lower and lower. So my grandma's huge front living room, we would turn it off, like, so it's completely pitch black. And then we would play hide and go seek. Why? Because it's incredibly fun to play hide-and-go-seek when you can't see anybody, right? So you can hear people, and you go, oh, 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 because people are, like, tripping over chairs and tables. And it's like, did you bleed? Yeah, but, all right, it was a successful game, successful game, right? So, when, and the point is, when you're, like, in the dark, like, you, like, you can't be seen. And when you're in the dark, you, you can't be found. And when you're in the dark, you can kind of get away with stuff that you couldn't get away with in the light. Yeah, you see it? So, so, so... Paul, in this section, is talking a lot about light and fruit as opposed to darkness and unfruitfulness. And he's talking in, in con a context of what it looks like for us to be a part of the community. So the first part here is worship and warning. So if you're with me in chapter 5, verse 3, it says this. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So here's what Paul is saying. First, he lists these sins. And he's not just giving an exhaustive list of, like, these sins should not be. Partly, we have to understand the context of the people in the city of which Paul is writing this letter. So in Ephesus, there were multiple gods, polytheistic culture, and a lot of it um, tended towards, like, uh, like sex prostitutes, and there was this like a pervasive understanding of sexuality, and that people kind of did what was right in their own sight. So when it came to sexuality, people did whatever they wanted to do. That's the way it was in Paul's day. Thank goodness things have changed, right? So Paul realizes, as we should, that people who come to know Jesus, that come from that culture, it's still on them. Like, it's still um, the temptation, the desires that you're there. And he understands who he's talking to. Also, we might note, Paul is talking to believers. 
he's writing to the church. He's not writing to people outside the church. He's writing to believers. And so we can't read this as like, oh, this was pre-Jesus, and then next week we'll get to like, as you already know Jesus. No, he's saying, because you know Christ and because of where you came from, the temptations in your own flesh, here's what he's saying. Like, naturally, this is how you will live. Um, In God's grace, this is how you ought to live. He says, so sexual morality, and just to be very, very clear, that's any um, sexual desire activity outside of a man and a woman who love each other in a committed monogamous relationship called marriage, okay? He says anything outside of that, it becomes impure, he says, and covetousness. can never say that word. Greed is the other word, right? And greed could be money, but in this case, it could be money and things or an over-desire of something that's not yours, or in this case, um, something that's not yours yet, maybe. Now, we understand, like, is God just this killjoy? No, 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 no. He's the opposite. He's a giver of joy. And I get, whenever we talk about sexual morality or sexual sin, like, it's a problem because everybody's been affected by it. Right? Everybody. Whether, whether it's, it's something that is a distant past or a recent past or a struggle. And so I just want to pause here and say there's some landmines in this section. One of the landmines comes in the next section after this, and it, it says that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that, that, that becomes a sense of like, wait, wait a minute. So like if I've failed in weak moments in this, did I lose my salvation? That's not what he's saying. We're going to get to that. Another landmine is for those people, it says, who, who do these things, who practice these things. He goes, do not be in partnership with them. And is that it saying that I shouldn't be with my non-Christian friend? I couldn't care about him. I couldn't be in a relationship with him. Should I remove myself from them? No, that's impossible. That's not what he's saying. So we're going to get, but those are landmines you can step on and just blow the whole thing up. Okay, that's not, that's not, that's what he's saying. Here he's saying there is a good gift that God has given us. However, we live in a culture, as was the day in Ephesus, where we take the gifts and we elevate it over the giver. And we dis- diminish the giver, his word, his authority, his power, his beauty, his love, and so forth. And then we create and use the gift for whatever we want to use it for. And it's usually us mimicking what we've seen or what we desire. So, so let, me, let me take it out of the, the context that it's in now to communicate it in words that d- doesn't get all awkward and weird. So, um, so think about this. Little boys and little girls um, love light, lightsabers, you know, lightsabers. You guys all know it because everyone likes Star Wars. I personally don't really like it, but kids love it. I just offended half of you guys. I can't believe my pastor doesn't like Star Wars. <laughs> See, I almost went somewhere as I caught it. Um, but what happens is because a kid has seen that a lot, usually when something is like that put in their hands, they start using it like that. And I have found that when you take little boys or little girls and you play baseball with them and you give them a bat, they start swinging the bat. Like it's a lifesaver. Here's the thing. The bat is not a lifesaver, right? It's, if anything, a life taker. And so you got to understand the context of the way it's used. But if you take the giver out of the equation and then you just take the gift without understanding the design of the gift, the purpose of it, then you could actually cause harm and pain. So the way that we teach young boys and girls is we teach something called bat rule. And you go, what's bat rule? It's a great question. So bat rule is when you hold the bat a certain way and you don't swing it when people are around you. Because what, what, what will naturally, what will happen in a little boy and a little girl's hand when you give them a bat if they're sitting in line? They're naturally going to do this. Right? Why? Because that's the way God made them. Right? <laughs> that's just the way it is. And so, so, and there's nothing sinful for doing this. However, when someone's in front of you, or even worse, someone's behind you, they're looking ahead. What? There goes their teeth. 
right? And there's blood everywhere. That's not the intention of the bat. So you got to say there's bat rule. Bat rules, you hold the bat a certain way. You do not twirl it. Um, that's the intentions of it. But when you're up to bat, guess what you get to use? You get to use the bat. Now, if it's not your turn, you look around if you're going to swing. Make sure you don't swing when what? People are around. So true story, we're watching a game, the game before ours. This is last year or the year before. And this kid is chopping this bat. And I said, man, he needs to get away from that gate. Someone's going to walk out and get hit. Literally, this kid's swinging. Another kid walks out as he's swinging. Whack! In the face. Fortunately for the little boy, uh, he was fine. Uh, probably couldn't hear for a while. But uh, he, he's good. It's great, right? The, the point of that is, it's a good gift. But when it's used outside of its proper context and its proper use, it could be damaging, right? It could be damaging. And there's wounds and there's scars and so forth. So Paul, Paul, Paul is saying here, these things shouldn't be named amongst you, meaning like don't give yourself to it. Like don't like put the giver, put the giver at the center, not the gift. Because right now the gifts, whether it's sex, money, and power, that is what dominates and, and begins to like control our culture, and oftentimes our affections and our way of life um, begin to mirror that which is at the center, not our Savior. And so Paul says this, but instead, he says this, verse 4, let there be, he continues to say, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place. What he's saying is, like, these sort of things, like, when it's sinful, like, there should not be, like, like, let's rejoice in this. Like, hey, let me tell you what happened last night. Like, let's laugh about this. He's going, no, 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 no. Like, not even joking, because in some ways, that begins to actually help shape your affections and your desires, and your affections and desires are a gift, but when they're bent that way, that's the wrong direction. So in essence, he says, don't go there, just like that, right? And so, but, here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, don't make fun of it, don't make jokes of it, don't just not do it, um, that's the way you correct it. No, because that would just be behavior modification. You could be morally, and from a sexual ethic standpoint, if you look at the imperatives of Scripture, you could be morally upright or doing everything that God says to do or everything God says not to do and still not have a genuine relationship with Jesus. The purpose of being a part of the kingdom is having a relationship and understanding and desires and affections of the king. So what he says here is not don't do that anymore or do this. He says, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. In essence, let there be worship. The worship is what's jacked up in the first place. That our affections will flow out of what we give ourselves to over and over and over again. So you think about it. When it comes to our walk in the Lord, let me just tell you this. You never drift towards holiness. Right? You never drift like, you know what, I haven't been talking to Jesus, I ain't been reading my Bible, and man, I am so in love with him now, right? No, like no, you don't drift towards it. If anything, we drift away from it. Those of us who are in Christ, followers of Jesus, if we are not consistently, last two weeks, renewing our mind, our affections being raised for the things of Christ, therefore the things of this world get put in their proper place, if that is not happening, we are not pursuing the type of community in Christ that he's talking about. So here's the way I used to teach it to high schoolers. Not that you guys are all in high school, but here's how I used to teach it to high schoolers. There's a flesh dog and there's a spirit dog. The flesh dog just eats, eats everything. You don't have to try to feed the flesh dog. It's eating all the scraps all on the ground and everything else. It's naturally going to eat. The spirit dog, on the other hand, he's picky by the way he eats. 
He's choicey. And he eats the things of God. And if we have to intentionally feed the, the spirit dog the right sort of things, because when it comes to moments of temptation, which one's going to bark louder? The one who's nourished. And if we're honest about a community, sometimes we're malnourished. We're full, but we're full of the things of this world and not the things of God. We go seasons because of whatever reason, and all of us, myself, we get it, we go seasons where for whatever reason there's a distance from God and our natural desires and affections are not bent towards him. And that's not just sexually, that's our life. And so when Paul says we should have worship, he's not saying this is a means to combat um, uh, sexual sin only. No, this is a way of life. That worship, he says, is the opposite of what he talks about in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, he goes, here's the problem. We've elevated the creature over the creator or the gift over the giver. And he says this, this is the problem, that we need our, our worships reordered, that we see God for who he is, us creating his image, those separated by sin, his son Jesus saving and redeeming us so our worship and all of life flows upward to him. And then as we praise him, we have a proper perspective on how to live our lives with the good gifts that he's given us. Like, like, sex is a gift. We were not made for sex. We were made for God. And in worshiping God, we understand the gifts and the proper context in which he gives us. So he says there should be thanksgiving. There should be a practice of thanksgiving and a practice of worship. Instead of looking at things that we think will satisfy, um, which is actually insatiable desires, we find and look to the one who fully satisfies, and that is namely God through the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? But Paul continues to go from worship to warning. He says this, verse 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, greed, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so here's what Paul is saying. Paul is going, there are people in this room and in this world, who go, I look at the sexual ethics of Christianity, and I look at the fact that it's 2018, and I go, that, that's archaic. Like, I know people who are living together, they love each other, um, they're not married, and you know what, it's beautiful, so who are we to say these things? Like, I, like I would, I, I'm going to dismiss that. And you have people in the faith who actually say, when it comes to the biblical sexual ethics, um, like, I don't know, maybe God was like, out to, lunch, out to lunch on that one. Like, I'll obey these other things, but I'm not going to obey these things. And Paul gets really serious. And he's like, no, nah, you just don't get a chance to, like, worship God like he's a buffet table. Like, to get God is to get all of him and allow him to shape you, not the other way around. And, and all of this starts at the very beginning of the story. Like, when we read in the, the Bible, like, you see God creates everything. It's beautiful. It's good. It's beautiful. It's good. And he creates everything. Um, and then he creates man and woman in his own image, and he gives them everything. He gives them everything. Let's name the animals. He gives them everything. And then he creates man, he creates woman, and they love each other. And so, you know, Adam has got his woman, and, and Eve has got her man, right? And, and all of a sudden, God says, enjoy everything. Like, I mean, like, you got the rest of your life to enjoy this, to build culture and be creative and so forth. Oh, don't eat of this tree. Don't eat of it. It's just going to bring death. And then what happens is the serpent, the devil, comes and lies. And what happens is, what happens to every single one of us, is they exchange the truth for the lie. And the lie that they believe, ultimately, is that they could be autonomous. That's a lie. That somehow true freedom is being separated from God. 
and that now we can decide what is good, what is right, what is true, what is beautiful. And so we get to make that decision. And, and what Paul later says in, in Romans is he goes, the problem with that is once you've your worship been all jacked up, is that once you've separated from God, like once you've denied God, he says that there are people who see that God has revealed themselves as through creation and so forth. He goes, but by their own nature and choices, they suppress the truth, therefore God gave them over to what they want. So when it says here that there's wrath and there's judgment, like, like the worst thing a holy God can do to us right now is let us do what we want to do apart from him. So we live in a culture that says, I want to just do me. And God says, okay, if you want that, I will give that to you. And that is a form of God's wrath, is to be separated from a holy God. And, he said, and if you continue in that pattern of lifestyle, that there is no inheritance, there's no receiving of his kingdom, which is what he desires for you. So oftentimes it's us looking at a God who is sending people to hell when the Bible sees there's a God who has welcomed us into his kingdom through his son, through his selfless sacrificial love, and then we are going, no thank you, because I want to do me. Like, that, like that's, that's the picture here. And so when Paul says that those who are sexual morality will not receive the kingdom, he's not talking about weak moments and failure of sin, because there's grace and there's repentance and faith and forgiveness there. That's not a license. That's an invitation to return to Jesus. Most people here who feel like, gosh, I feel like if this is for me, it's repentance because God is for you. He's not against you. Like that, that's the beauty of the gospel. But if you're saying, I have no part with that, I cannot worship a God who, then that is on you saying you cannot worship a God who. That's not on God. And so this, this picture is a warning here because remember he's talking to Christians. He's saying the warning is not that you will lose your salvation. The warning is that's not what you were made for. Like you were made for God, and when our right relationship is with and in God, it allows us to live our lives. Everybody in here is going to have a weak moment. Listen, everybody here is going to have a weak moment and weak moments, and you're going to do it again. And the beauty of the gospel is you have a Lord and you have a Savior who never leaves you nor forsakes you, who loves you. A God who says who began a good work in you is also going to finish that work. But that work has to be right in the center of his will and the oneness and the unity and the union that you have with Jesus Christ. Amen? So there's, there's this, this, this picture that he has here. Well, you have this worship and you have a, a warning. But then you have affirmation, which I think when you talk about this, you need to be affirmed. Like, God, it seems like you're telling me I'm out. And he's just like, no, you are so in. There's this affirmation and then there's an action. Read with me in verse uh, 7. It says, therefore... Do not become partners with them. Now, just real quick on that. When he says partners with them, he's not saying don't have association. Like, there's no way we can leave the culture, guys. Sometimes Christians are like, we're going to leave the culture. And go where? Right? Like, wherever you go, you're there. And that's the biggest problem. Right? And so you can't leave the culture. I, he is saying here that partnership is a deep, deep, deep union. So you can have friends, relationships, and so forth. But when, you, when it comes to someone who has a wildly different worldview than you, like one of the implications of that is like be very choicy by who you marry. Don't marry somebody. It's unwise that if your worldview, worldviews are in a conflict with one another, you're going to have a difficult time. Okay, if your worldviews are different than the person you're, you're deciding to marry, you're going to have a difficult time. All right, see, the kids get it. <laughs> Jesus was like out of babes. So, so, so let me say this another time because they say if you say it three times, people get it. If you're not married, 
If you're married, you're in it. God's going to bless it. Let's see him do something great. If you're not, you should not choose somebody who has a wildly different worldview than you to partner with in life and in marriage. Just a thought. <laughs> he continues here, verse 8. And for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. I absolutely love this. The affirmation here is you were darkness, now you're light. Notice he doesn't say you were in darkness and now you're in light, right? And other, other times you do kind of get that glimpse. He's saying the environment didn't change. You're still in Tempe. Like you were darkness. He's talking about you, your sin, your nature. You were darkness and now you're light. We're not light, naturally. Jesus is the light. What he's communicating is those who are now um, believing in Jesus are not just believing in him in an abstract way, but there's a participation of union and of intimacy with Christ. That we become light. That's why Jesus says, be the light of the world. That light is not something we just find inside of ourselves. It's something that comes by God's grace in and through his son Jesus by the Spirit. So he says, here's who you are. You are light, and it says, walk as children. He doesn't tell people to become children because they already are. That we've been adopted into the family of God, that now we have the mission and the message of Christ. We have the life of Christ, the spirit of Christ, the love of the Father. Like, nothing could be against us with that sort of divine power that's within us. Like, it's a beautiful picture. So he's saying, no, he's not talking that you're going to lose the kingdom because the king is the one who has you. And God's love does not lose his children. So he has this beautiful picture, this affirmation, you are the light. Now, if you are the light you got to start acting like it, right? God didn't choose you. He didn't bring you to his kingdom because he needed you to be light for him. God wasn't up there going, I need a light. You got a light? That's that's not at all the way that it was. God called us into his family. He made us through his grace light that we may actually begin to be a community of people, not just individually, a community of people that display his light. Here's how we do it. Verse Verse 10, it says this. We try to discern, or excuse me, go back to verse 9. It says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, here's what you got to understand. To be able to discern the Lord, like, we, have to, we, we do have to go deep. And so let me, let me communicate this. And so some of you guys already know this. If you've lived in Arizona for some time, you know that there's such a thing. We have a weird state. We don't understand that. But um, we have ornamental orange trees, and we have orange trees. And so, if you don't know this, listen, get a botanical lesson here. So, we have these trees that look like orange trees. They grow what looks like an orange. I mean, literally looks just like an orange. It's citrusy and so forth. And, and you pull it off of a tree, and then you peel it, right? Like, not like a banana, though, but like, a, like an orange. Uh, and, and you bite into it, and you realize it's horrible. Like, it's like the worst tasting thing in the world. And you ask yourself, why would they even have these here? Right? It's one of those questions we don't know the answer to. Then you have like a real orange. And I don't need to go talk to you what a real orange is because you know what a real orange is. There, there's this sense where he's saying the good fruit you'll know as you go deep into it. And when it comes to discerning the Lord, he said you've got to try to discern the Lord. And that's you've got to go deep. Here, here's the problem with, here's one of the problems we have with Christian community sometimes is the phrase, the Lord told me. And hear me, hear me, hear me. Hear me, hear me, is um, 
the Lord speaks through his word, and he speaks outside of his word, and I believe the spirit is absolutely speaking. The problem is with someone, it usually goes like this, hey, the Lord is telling me that I should uh, leave and do this thing. What do you think? And it's like, <laughs> if the Lord is telling you that, um, I mean, what am I going to say? You know what I mean? Like, he's the Lord. Hey, listen, sometimes he'd be off. Um, <laughs> don't tell him I said this, but uh, right, you know? Or as opposed to the way that we discern is we discern first with the word of God. Like, what is God saying and has he said to his people, right? And then you have the word of God. You have the spirit of God. The spirit is moving and interpreting, interpreting things that are true and good and beautiful. But then you also have the people of God. Like, discerning the will of the Lord happens in the context of one another's. The way the proverb says it is, with many counselors, you will succeed. And so that is you bounce these things off the people in your life and be able to come to a conclusion. Now, sometimes your conclusion may be different than the rest of the community, but there's a process there of discerning. It says try to discern in the context of community, in the context of imitating God, in the context of what is sin and what is not, what is beautiful, what is true. How do we live as light? How do we walk as children? Let's discern as children to be able to understand the beautiful realities of this. And so we discern these things. And so... With that, there's, there's the affirmation that we are light, we are children, and there's the action. I mean, there's something that we do as light. And here's what Paul says, and this is, usually, this is usually taken out of context, but it says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying, Paul is saying, the, there's a griminess of these actions. Let's not even talk about like, don't even, don't even, like, don't even do the, man, I heard that he, uh, no, 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 right? Just, nope, not even going to go there. When it says expose, sometimes what we think is, oftentimes we think, okay, that's our role as Christians to have this kind of, like, spirit of, of critique and, and go to people and say, you were in sin, here, I mean, just, you know, we use the phrase, like, I called them out. And it's like, so, so what? Did it work? Usually not as opposed to you coming alongside people. To expose there has less about your actions of calling something out and being judgmental. God is a God who judges. Like, he does that. It's actually being light. Light naturally exposes, not through words, but by presence. So you think about that. So when you have this picture, he's talking about a community that lives in such a way that is the light in Christ Jesus, that lives a way ethically, morally, and so forth, understanding their own sin and need of grace and repentance daily, being their, their minds being renewed in such a way that it becomes winsome to a people around them that the people who are not in Christ may be able to go, you know what, maybe my life is not as good as I thought. That we, we all have been or need to be or need to know people that are walking in Christ, and they are a picture of what our life would look like if we, were in Christ, if we were in Christ. Like a community of people that our friends and family around us can go, I don't believe what they believe, but I know what it would look like if I did because I could see it. So there's presence there. Okay, so what does that look like? Um, so a couple stories here. One is a good friend of mine, went to college with, played football with. His name's Ishmael, which if you know a whole lot about the Christian story, doesn't seem like someone would be named Ishmael who's a Christian, but by far one of the godliest men that I knew. And so Ishmael was that person for many of us. He was that person going, if my life was in Christ, it'd probably look a lot like ish. Uh, and like real ish, not like a side word for something else. So, so one of the things that was unique about Ishmael, at least for those of us college football players at the time, was that like he... 
he was pure. Like, he was always, you know, he had this girlfriend, and they never were intimate with one another. And, and, um, and he wasn't preachy. He was real normal. He'd be, he'd be at all, like, the parties and stuff, and, like, Ishmael would be there. Uh, we'd always joke around because Ishmael would drink all the chasers. And uh, it was like, where'd the Sprite go? It's just, man, I'm sorry, man. I'm thirsty, right? <laughs> this is the facts, right? And, and then it would be, like, time for the club or the party at the end, and he would be, before there was Uber, there was Ish, and he would give us a ride. Hey, stay here. I'll be back. Because he, he just was a, he was a, he's a real light. He was a real light of Christ. And we all knew. And then we would make fun of him, like, oh, man, come on, man. You've never been with your girl. Like, we'd, you know, we'd make fun of him. We'd say, oh, that's different. That's weird. We wouldn't use those words. We'd use other words, just so you know. My street cred is still there. And so, but individually... We'd go to him like, actually, man, I think you're right. I just don't think that we know how to live like you. Almost all of our friends did. When I became a Christian and talked to Ish, he's like, everybody used to say that, man. And there was something about his life that just being with him, not just did you desire, you knew something was wrong with yours. Right? He didn't have to say, that's wrong. It was just the way he embodied his life and the presence. He was the light of Christ to many of us. Another way where this happens where you're exposed in, in the light is, um, is, I don't know if you guys have had this experience, some of you have had this experience before, maybe not all of you guys, where there's a certain movie that you watch or a show or something that you watch and, and you think it's hilarious or you think it's a good movie, and then you invite all your Christian friends or whatever to watch it, and then as you're watching it and you're seeing and hearing things way different than you did without them, and you're like, who chose this movie? Right? <laughs> right? There's something about the presence of believers that you kind of go, yeah, this ain't it, isn't it? Let me go ahead and, let me go ahead and turn this one off, right? Um, the first, one of the first dates that I took my wife on, we went to go see uh, The Departed, which is a movie that I don't recommend. Um, and afterwards, she said something to the nature of going, you know, I, when it comes to movies, I don't really like movies that have like a whole lot of violence and um, unnecessary like language. And if you've ever seen The Departed, which I don't recommend, um, that is the plot. So that, 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 yeah. So I was like, yeah, me neither. I thought that movie was about departed, how we go to the Lord and the Lord. I didn't, I had, I can't believe that. I can't believe that movie, right? So there's a way in which, which you're in the presence and you're living out the glory and grace of the Lord that the exposing happens. That the, the people of God, we're a display community that becomes to be attractive by the way that we live, trusting in the ways of Jesus that we actually don't exchange the truth for a lie, but we actually take the truth at its word, that, that we see this picture of what God has done to us. And Paul, Paul concludes this particular section with this. He says in verse 13, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That picture there is as the community is living in the ways of Christ, like in the love of Jesus, forgiving and loving and accepting and bringing people into Christ, that, there's, that, that it's, it becomes a tractional community for those who, are, who, are, who don't know Jesus. Like that, 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 that phrase there, it's a bunch of different um, quotations put together from the Old Testament, primarily Isaiah 61, and it speaks of our, our death in Adam and our new life in Jesus, that we were asleep, unable to awake, so dead, and then now we're given new life in Christ. And so I started with that illustration of me and my brothers and sisters, right, playing hide-and-go-seek with the lights off so that we couldn't be found. There's a, there's a, there's a reality that 
when you play hide-and-go-seek, it is fun to be hidden. Like, it's a lot of fun. And when you play in the dark, you kind of bump into things left and right. And if you play long enough, you get to the point where you're sick of bumping into things and hurting yourself. And if you play long enough and you haven't been found, you don't want to be hidden anymore. There comes a point in which you actually want to be found. And the beauty of God is, once you come out in the sense of saying, I don't want to hide anymore, you realize that he was already looking for you. Once you realize in your own heart, I'm lost, it's usually simultaneous to realize that you've been found. That, that, that Josh, I think, so eloquently puts in his book that we say things like, we got to find God, when the reality is, God was never lost. We were the ones who were lost. The question is, do we want to be found? Like the way in which we live our lives in Christ should be a display to the world of saying, we are broken sinners in need of grace, and our Lord has found us, and he's also looking for you. So when Megan goes to China, that we know that there are people that God is looking for, that people in our families, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, and God happens to use broken vessels, empty styrofoam cups like you and I, that the Spirit of God has poured into, that God may turn the lights on through us, that people may be exposed, not for being caught, but being exposed that they may be transformed into the image and the glory of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the work that you begin in Jesus and the reconciling of heaven and earth, and we long for the day in which that will be completed. And if that longing is not there, Lord, in us, Lord, create it. A desire and awakening, Lord, to be with you. We thank you that you have reconciled lost people to be found, dark people to be light, people, Lord, who were confused to have clarity. That, Father, you've taken those of us who were scattered and now made us a community, and you've done it in the work of your Son. So I pray, Jesus, that we would be shaped and fashioned by your word, filled with your spirit, and walking in your grace. May we be not only the light of Christ, but the aroma of Christ. As a community, Father, to the, to the city in which we live, we pray that your gospel would go forth, Lord, in our homes, in our families, God, in our schools, in our places of work, in our dorms, in our apartments. Father, in this city, Father, in this state, and in this world, that the name of Christ would be known and recognized and followed. So, Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the grace in which you've given us, Lord. And we, we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.